welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. On today's pod, who has the hottest seat in F1 right now? And is F1 falling into the trap of putting on a show? And finally, we'll recap the drivers and teams' performances from this past weekend's Miami GP. Ryan, is anyone's seat starting to feel a little warm around here? You know, we always look towards the back of the field first sometimes, right? So, you know, we saw a lot of things going on. He goes, I, first and foremost, I hate that it's our boy um, in the South Florida flair coming off of Miami. Uh, that Logan Sargent is finding himself maybe smelling some of that silly season early on him. But, you know, we saw some reports out this week um, that... Uh, the folks in charge over at Williams are not enamored with Logan's performance. Um, and uh, there is some German ties there. And that means a little bit of Toto Wolf and a little bit of Mick Schumacher. Um, and I, I, you know, no doubt we've discussed this ourselves between ourselves, Steve, but money plays and a name plays. And um, if they're going to be crashing into walls and uh, being back markers, they might as well do it with, one of the greatest drivers of all time, son on the grid instead of some no-name USA guy, right? Well, I mean, some would say if you need someone to crash a car, call Mick. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, w- Williams, uh, you know, Logan Sargent just, he, it's not the fastest car. Well, I, I take that back. It is one of the fastest cars in a straight line, uh, but certainly not one of the strongest cars Uh he has lost the qualifying battle to his teammate, Alex Albon, every race. And, you know, he hasn't scored a point yet. One of only two drivers to not score. His teammate has scored a point. Um, been looked a better driver. You know, it's tough when you're not in the most competitive cars. But I feel like the expectation, you know, especially in your home Grand Prix, American driver, American race, doing better than qualifying 20th and finishing 20th a lap down. So, you know, Williams now run team principal James Vowles, who just came from Mercedes last year, who is a Mercedes reserve driver, Mick Schumacher. So, you know, does uh, Toto do a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink? He, he's pulled strings for drivers before. You know, he was instrumental in Esteban getting his seat at Alpine, making calls, making moves while he was – you know, taking a year out of Formula One. Is it something that happens mid-season? I'd, I'd hate to see the hook come out for Logan so early. You don't want to cut bait on a rookie that early. That sucks to me. Um, give him a season at least. Uh, but, I, you know, I understand. Uh, speaking of rookies, uh, Nick DeVries. Yep, next right? hot seat. Next hot seat probably. Um, you know, I'm just remembering drive to survive and he was so cocky you know what i mean it's just and then and then seeing how this is playing out right i mean this is a guy who was a mercedes test driver right and had a well yeah he, he was the uh he was the reserve driver for them last year and and uh right. oh, sorry you know, not test driver reserve driver yeah he was, he was the uh super sub at the uh, Italian Grand Prix stepping in, surprisingly enough, at Williams to score a point in his first race. Right. So, you know, what I wonder is, did Nick end up on the wrong team and that's going to cost him? 
right? It, that's what I wonder. I I'm, I was a little surprised where he ended up. He, you know, everyone starts moving around. They want to do what they have to do. They break free of those teams that they're attached to, break free of their teams that they grew up with. And he's somewhere else, and he's not quite hitting that stride. And again, mind you, he's in a situation where he's maybe in a favorable more situation, comparable or comparable to his teammate. You know, Logan is paired with a more veteran driver. You know, I, I have a lot of love for Alex Albon. I think he's got a little bit of a bad break in his time in F1. And then Oscar is paired with Lando, right? So more veteran drivers, especially younger, kind of that next tier driver, that max range of driver, you know, up and comers, uh, guys who came through together. And then you have... Yuki paired here with the reason, so it might be a little bit more competitive. They're only a few years apart on the grid, but still, he's not showing like he's in the same league just well, yet. You, you talk about Alex having a bad break. Like, where did he have his bad break, though? He had it with Red Bull. And, you know, that, that whole team is always a little bit tumultuous when it comes to how they treat their young drivers. You know, uh, Pierre making the jump from, you know, it's Alpha Tauri now, but it was Toro Rosso as the previous name and, you know, the, the top team, Red Bull. He made that jump and immediately was so far behind Max and making mistakes that they had to switch him and Alex. So Alex got promoted from Toro Rosso up to uh, Red Bull. And as soon as he was up there, he was. He fell into like same trap so much so that they dropped him after his first full year at the top team. So, you know, Nick is now in that same environment, you know, under helmet Marco, his eye, no pun intended, is always on you to and uh, performance first mentality. If you're not performing, you tend to have a short shelf life. And that, you know, my, my preseason prediction was that. Yuki was going to fall susceptible to this, and I, uh, you know, he's he's proven me wrong so far because he's been Mister Consistent with either a, a tenth or eleventh finish every race. He scored points twice. Uh, I thought he was the one that's going to get the axe, but Nick has been so much farther off the pace um, that he, I, you know, he's a little bit in trouble. Uh, it's it's tough to grade. Honestly, the both of them, because the car is so far off the pace of everyone else, is Yuki so good that he's getting the absolute most out of the car and the best scenario is getting one point in tenth? Or is the car pretty good and neither of them are getting anything out of the car? You know, it can't be both, but it's got to be one or the other. Um, right, and you wonder, you know, theoretically as the little brother of Red Bull with the dominant car on the track that this team wouldn't be that far off right you would think um, and so you you have to wonder right it is because Yuki is really the bellwether at this point is he getting the most out of what that team is and that's how the distance between him and his teammate is indicative of something or is both of their performances indicative that they may not be long for that car if there's an expectation for them to be better. So, and we, we talked about this, is that there is a man named Danny waiting in the wings over at Red Bull, and there's some, you know, young drivers out there waiting for their turn. And there always is, you know, Red Bull has development. Every, almost every team has some level of development for yeah, the most part. It seems like Red Bull has zero shortage of potential replacements. 
Like yeah. there is just a traffic jam of people, faces firmly pressed up against the glass, waiting for that seat to open up. Right. When there's only 20 seats and they're being really stingy on adding any more and, you know, you are coming up through the Red Bull team and you want to, when you have someone like Max, as young as he is, obviously being the top of at Red Bull, uh, you start looking around. There's not a lot of seats available. And, um, you know, you got guys like Danny and Sergio in the mix for the upper team right now. And both of those guys are more legit, very solid. They've won uh, races. You know, I think Checo has a very good chance to compete for a championship this year. Um, I would think if you put Danny in one of these Red Bulls, he too would be competitive. Uh, You know, car meets driver and you got a good mix here. And then you got young guys waiting to get that same opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, we'll talk about Danny first because his was the first name to really pop up with any kind of energy. And, you know, first thing was a report that he had a seat fitting for the Alpha Tauri, which in and of itself isn't too much news because he's the reserve driver for the team right now. And as a reserve driver for Red Bull, he's also the reserve driver for Alpha Tauri. So it makes sense that he'd have a seat fitting. Um, They kind of cooled any other rumors about him replacing Nick, but he was the first name to pop up. Uh, There was, and we talked about it before, when he first came back to Red Bull after McLaren, you know, Christian Horner had some comments about, you know, what 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 did they do to him? Like, he wasn't the same person. He was a shell of himself. He didn't have that natural feel uh, of the car anymore, and that was something they picked up in the simulator. There's been uh, some improvement there, and they, you know, they feel like he's getting closer to the pace as, as far as the simulator. Uh, but he is going to get his shot behind the Red Bull car. This year's RB19, the, you know, uh, the killer car. Uh, he has a Pirelli test coming up in Silverstone. So at least the team, I don't know if we'll get a chance to know like how close he is to the pace of the two drivers in the car. So that's, that's Danny. Uh, there's and also, we'll see, you know, that's, that's the thing. Once he starts putting down some proof of concept that he looks good in one of these cars, and you see the performance not coming from some of the other cars, you're going to start seeing some silly season in Red Bull. Right. And, and you know, uh, they also have two junior drivers. You know, one, uh, the New Zealander, the Kiwi, uh, Liam Lawson, who coming off a strong season in Formula 2 last year, finished third, and right now was in the uh, Super Formula in Japan, performing strongly. Certainly a strong candidate. And, you know, still being a quasi- Honda team, because these are Honda power units, Ayumi Iwasa right now in Formula 2 is probably the strongest candidate to take that seat if Nick should falter. Uh, He's running third currently in Formula 2. So Nick can't afford to, to misstep anymore. He needs to really, you know, kind of find his footing and put down a good result to just, even if his seat isn't in jeopardy, you gotta quiet the rumors, gotta quiet... Uh, all the banter going around the paddock right now. Yeah, it's uh, always interesting. And I feel like Red Bull, maybe not as rec- as much recently, or the, the AlphaTauri team, but they seem to have a quick uh, or short leash. And so they trigger silly season the fastest. And they may do the same this year, even as good as they are. Yep. Uh, third and final, it's not just drivers who need to watch their back. Quite a lot of buzz coming from the Alpine team this weekend. Even before the race, uh, Alpine CEO Laurent Rossi with some just absolute 
bombs dropped as far as quotes directly to the media. This wasn't stuff that was said to the team and leaked out. This was straight to the media, how seemingly the, the team has a laissez-faire attitude and doesn't have you know, quite the, the killer instinct and edge that he expects. Uh, very disappointed were the results. And, you know, heavy lies the head. Otmar Safnauer is the team principal. And he's got to be feeling the pressure. Yeah, that's pretty damning. You know, you... I don't think anything about those comments uh, are for one person or another. That seems to be a blanket statement, right? That's damning about across the team, right? And, you know, someone's going to pay, right? You... you you may look at it a few ways, and this is this is Ryan's uh, American analogy of the week. Is it is it the coach or is it the players? Right, we see this all the time. You know, if you think you got Patrick Mahomes on the team and he's not playing like he used to, or he's not playing like the superstar or the MVP that he was, uh, you might get rid of the coach. So, do they think any of these guys on this team are capable of doing better, or are up and coming stars that? are doing better, need a better team, need a better uh, product, need a better leader. I mean, they or, have two race winners, you know, regardless of how those wins happen, like they have two race winners on their team. And the fact that it's an all French team with two French drivers, I feel like the drivers are safer than the quote unquote coach at this point. Right. So then you, you look at the coach, right? Yeah. This is the coach we brought in. Is there a better coach that we can bring in here to get the quality out of this team, right? And, you know, we've seen... This is not the first time Otmar's had some issues with ownership, right? But you I know, always he, felt he, like he was under a, the gun yeah. at Aston Martin. I felt like I felt like uh, Lawrence Stroll wasn't always super enamored with what Otmar was doing with that Aston Martin, right? You know, he he's a guy that just... Like, he doesn't wow you. Not that a team principal is necessarily a position to wow in, but, you know, he... <laughs> I don't know. He just kind of has that, you know, uh, I, I don't know. He He's from... I mean, he wasn't, you know, necessarily born in the Midwest, but, you know, he's that Rust Belt kind of. He's from, you know, spent a lot of time in Detroit growing up, uh, you know... Uh, Reminds me of kind of like a George Went-ish person, <laughs> if that if that dates me at all. Where it's like I don't know, is he the guy for the job, or is he just really good at surviving where he works? Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, what it is is that is he a middle of the road team principal, and you're just shuffling middle of the road guys again. Who's the hot? Is he the Tom Thibodeau matter? of well, team yeah, well, principals? Yeah. Well, because that's the thing. Like, but does he have any coach of the years in his past to at least justify oh, why? Geez, coach of the year come. doesn't mean anything over the last two weeks. Coach of the year no, was no, like no. a death sentence. Yeah, that is a death sentence. He goes, having a good year means nothing. It's how many how many years in a row can you uh, keep going? So, like for for this, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, it's pretty damning. Again, uh, I think you with those words, you've set a bar. You've drawn a line in the sand. And if if something doesn't improve, something's got to change, right? There, there, in quote, there will be consequences if form doesn't improve. And it does not mean waiting to the end of the year. So, Yeah, and I feel like that's heads rolling within the team structure. I don't think that's touching the drivers. Again, to your point, um, these drivers have some pedigree on them. Um, and they are also French. And that is <laughs> a nice, again... 
he goes, that's a nice little, it's nice to be able to have two drivers you feel confident in who have actually won a race before and had some performance on the track and also be French when you're a French team. That's nice, right? Uh, the Italians would love to do that with Ferrari. I um, think it's time to bring back Cyril. Bring back Cyril and his tattoo. I want to see him back fighting with Christian again. I feel like he's at least colorful. I mean, at this point, you know. You know what? If, if we're, like, we're, let's do it for the show. You know, and let's let's uh, let's talk about the show because right. I, I I feel like uh, we're we're starting to get a couple of groups of people who, you know, label themselves quote unquote F one purists who are starting to get a little fed up with the new goings ons and and the changes being made to their their precious little baby. And you know, let's start with it a little bit here. I, I know we discussed some of the things that are happening, but let's see if we can get to the root a little bit. How much of this is drive to survive, right? You know, and to talk about one of the challenging things about secession the other night, because I will bring it into this conversation <laughs> if you follow the show, and I won't give you any spoilers too much, but part of the point of the show that night of the most recent episode is, uh, and I'm a journalist by trade, if you don't know that, is that we put on a hell of a show. We put on good TV. But when you're talking about yeah, politics but, but things in happen, the country, Ryan. sometimes right, things do happen. Right. So in the same thing here, he goes, we're looking at Drive to Survive. You can watch some of those storylines that year. Even when it's like not a lot going on, you see them kind of drum up storylines. And you're like, hmm. And we've heard drivers complain about like, oh, it's such a, they make such a big deal about this or how much they don't really like participating in that. But it's what's been a major driver of this sport getting more global play, especially in the American market. So now that we're here, we are now in a spot where we're changing the product that got us here, right, Steve? Well, you say change. You say change, right? Because that's what people have been saying. You know, they saw this driver intro thing, which I was on record on the last show. I loved it. I loved it. You know what? Uh, LL did a great job. Didn't mispronounce anybody's names. Great energy. If the drivers don't like it at fine but you know what for a u.s race for it being a miami race where it's all empty show and bravado anyway because that's what miami is it fit and it was great i loved it now everyone's like this new stuff in formula one is all from drive to survive i don't like it yada 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 the u.s grand prix in austin in 2017 which was before any season of drive to survive because drive to survive didn't have its first season until after the 2018 season Right, so this is in 2017. They had Michael Buffer announce every single driver before the race. Are we changing things? Did it did it happen for the first time? No, this is something that already happened, and it happened pre-drive to survive. This wasn't a drive to survive effect. This was them revisiting something that at the time people thought it was kind of fun. Lewis Hamilton was certainly enjoying himself. Daniel Ricardo came running out like he was about to play linebacker for the Texas Longhorns. Like it was fantastic. It was it was good TV. But you know what? F1 is trying to market their drivers. They're trying to market their personalities. F1 didn't have a social media environment set up beforehand. Drivers weren't necessarily allowed to be themselves and post that's flipped on its head now that's been the main change in this sport and that's what's ingratiated so many more people there is a entire memedom around the sport at this point that just continues to drive engagement 
the, so, I, yeah, the, the yeah, issue sorry. here is, you know, you say that about that. Is it the ugly American influence, right? We're all about flash and show. We need a show. We can't just have a race, right? We don't, you know, we make a spectacle out of every major race in the United States. The Indy 500 is a spectacle. The Daytona <laughs> 500 is a spectacle, right? My so, favorite thing about this is that people had pictures of the King's coronation with flyovers and, you know, streaming smoke behind the fighter jets saying, oh, what other country does it this well? And the person's comment was, we do this for two, three, and eight AFC teams on a Saturday afternoon. Like, this is pomp and circumstance and, you know, conflated showmanship is America's brand. Yeah, step your game up, England. We do yeah. this every weekend, right? But the thing is, um, for me... I think that it's not that the drivers don't want to participate in this or don't like it. I feel like it's being done to them and they're not really having a say in how it's going to be executed. The biggest complaints I've seen has been it messes with my pre-race kind of routine. We're out there in our suits for too long and it's hot we're on the track we have to do you know hours of racing in a hot car on the track we don't want to ex expend uh, expend any more energy than we have to we don't have to uh, subject ourselves to the elements any more than we have to so that's not a lot of thought for the drivers even while they're trying to promote said drivers if they're worried about their safety and their comfort so that's where I feel like the rub is it's not that if we can get this done and have some fun and it looks good and we can enjoy it great um, but it's also being done at the expense of the drivers too. And I feel like that's where they're like, screw this. And possibly, I think they said there's five more instances in which they're going to try to do this this year. Um, uh, I hope they're going to change. They did talk about they're going to make some tweaks to appease the drivers, but uh, I don't think this is going away. We'll just see if they can find a happy medium. Right. I, you know, do they need a full like WWE style intro? Or do they just need their name called to kind of speed it up? You know, it, do we need a whole stage set up? Or is there, you know, a way to maybe incorporate it into the, you know, driver's parade a little bit to make it a little bit more seamless? You know, I, I feel like, again, Miami race, USA race, it fits. But, you know, as far as people thinking it's it's too much, they drive around Monaco, the, the richest, you know, few square miles of the world they put on a car race where you know one year they strap diamonds to the front of the car like what are we talking about like this is this has always been a sport of excess it's always billionaires with their million dollar toys you know um you know i i get the driver's complaints about you know preparation and and their their mentality and routines and everything but this looking at it from a marketing and branding side is only going to make you more money and not everything is about money but you know when you're putting your life on the line essentially every time you go out there the the more known you are the more you can market yourself the you know the the amount of deals you have as a driver outside of your contract you know can can set you up for life because you know out outside of a uh you know, uh, an AFC East running back. I'm not sure which profession has a shorter lifespan than a Formula One driver. Sometimes you get a couple of races and that's it. And you have to put millions of dollars 
into your own development to even get to that point. You know, I, Nick DeVries was in the hole, essentially. He was upside down on the amount of money he put into his career to get to Formula One. He's going to, you know, turn up his nose at a, you know, driver introduction that gets his face and his name out there that maybe, you know, lands him a, a deal with, you know, a, a fashion company or a watch company or a fragrance company that, you know, can help him, you know, uh, uh, help his parents retire or help him retire at some point. I feel like, you know, it's got to be part and parcel with the gig. And, you know, again, is that a little bit of a buffer to keep your job, too? If you become popular and you have a little bit of cachet because you've built your brand up that quickly and you and lean into that. Look at Daniel Cardo as far as his popularity. How, how close, like, he's he is a good driver, but his last two years of his resume has not been stellar, but his absolute groundswell of popularity... Red Bull knows that it was like a, just a complete home run to sign him and have him there, and they have essentially wrung out everything they could from him as far as um, you know PR and marketing. Like he's at this event, he's at that event, he's filming this short film for Red Bull. He's he's doing a, another event. He's driving you know a car on the street. You know all these things that it's an asset to them for his popularity. You know Mick Schumacher. He's got his last name, right? But he's a very popular driver, and that might ultimately get him Nick's seat. You know, there, there's got to be a little bit of that intangible X factor aside from driving talent. Very true. And, you know, because I do think they're creating a bit of a monster with Danny. As popular as he is, they're going to get put into a position where they're going to have people saying, why isn't he driving? And they don't have a seat for him. Or there's, the there's nobody there. more popular than the backup quarterback. Of course, right? Even when the quarterbacks that are in place right now are doing good. But we've talked about the the pomp and circumstance. However, there are actual racing things that are being done that are being changed to drum up some little interest here and there. And whether or not this is what we should be doing, right? Because we've, we've talked about this before, about what does adding sprint races to you know, X amount of races or, or circuits this particular season, how does that change dynamics with a cap? How does that change dynamics with people racing for points, uh, it, you know, and maybe not racing as hard on the actual race day uh, or vice versa? So, you know, should we be doing these things? It, we, we discussed this a little bit, Steve, because we also grew up in the United States. We're, we're NASCAR fans, and we've seen changes to a very popular sport that was gaining on uh, you know uh popularity and on the rise that to me as an old time fan of nascar and the that particular the, the highest division of it i didn't like seeing the the sprint or the chase for the cup that they did because it emphasized winning races over having a good car and consistency and allowed people to if they won races in the final couple of races of the season could steal a championship or that was what was more important was winning a race at the end of the year than actually winning a race at the beginning of the year so that turned me off a little bit especially when my drivers started to retire we have something similar here we see some of the old folks uh who you know are used to f1 maybe not like these sprint races but we understand why we add sprint races here steve why do we add sprint races because what's better than one race right two races but it's like you know What's better than two races? Having three races? Should we have two sprint races in a week? Like I, I don't know. I'm not saying the slope is that slippery, 
But I, I think, you know, they they see the opportunity to, you know, I, I don't know if it's a matter of if we hold more competitive sessions in a weekend, we can have higher ticket prices. Can we charge more for uh, broadcast rights? Can we charge more for our streaming services as opposed to just having one qualifying one race? If we double it, we make the product more valuable, we make people pay more. Is that ultimately the end game? Were they really trying to find something to spark interest? Because I feel like they've had more or less organic growth in the popularity of the sport. You know, it's already an international sport. They had the rollout of, you know, driver and team social media and, and kind of turning that culture around. And then they have Drive to Survive. It felt like they didn't have to change anything within the scope of the competition to drive more fandom. But once they got it, they felt like they had to do more. Um, I think they're still trying to find the right balance with the sprint races. They had, you know, we're going to do three in a season. Like three is the number. Now the number six. Now we're going to do, you know, the qualifying on Friday and then sprint qualifying shootout on Saturday and then the sprint right after it. And But it's not going to set, you know, the order for the race. They Until they, you know, stop being so wishy-washy about it and just kind of decide on what the scope and scale of it's going to be, it's always going to feel more like a gimmick than anything else because you need to be decisive. If, if you cannot sit there and make a decision, how am I supposed to take it seriously? Because you're making it up as you go. And I feel like the teams feel the same way because the teams didn't get the information on the Baku sprint, I feel like, until the week of to, uh, to know the expectation. Yeah, and so... But uh, I'll, uh, real quick... I, we did not like the chase, quote unquote, in NASCAR because, you know, we, we felt like, you know, wins shouldn't be overvalued. But we also didn't think, you know, if you didn't win a race all year, should that be a championship season? I mean, like Austin Dillon. And that happened. Better, that yeah. happened one year. Because and, and that happened beforehand too. Uh, I believe Terry Labonte did it uh, before. Uh, uh, where he went the whole season without winning a race and won the championship. Now, what bothered me, and I, I'm a Jeff Gordon fan, so that's going to be the issue at, at hand here, was that Jeff Gordon would essentially have won two more championships had they just kept it the same. Instead, Jimmy Johnson really embraces this and becomes one of the great all-time drivers. Um, and you're going to compare these guys to Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt but they won it under different circumstances. They didn't win it the way those guys did it. That's what's the hard part is that you're not that you need to compare different ages and you have to always be changing, but the it's hard to have comparison points when guys have extra opportunities to score points. Guys have other ways to do things. Um, and this changes things a little bit. I, I think the sprint races aren't the most terrible thing in the world, but what's the next wrinkle? Is that going to push it too far? Well, they, they've gone back and forth on different changes. You know, uh, they, I think it was 2014 or 2015, uh, the last race of the season, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, came down to Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton 
and they decided, I think it was 2014, for the last race of the year, it was double points. Just because. <laughs> the, the point, if you win, it's 50 points instead of it being the normal 25 points. And why would one race be worth more than the rest? Just because it's the last race. So there was like added jeopardy to where if, if you normally were 27 points out, you had no chance of tying or, or, you know, winning the championship, but all of a sudden first place is 50 points. You could win that lasted that one year. And that was it. Um, they used to determine the, uh, final, you know, rankings, the, the final driver standings with count back, you know, they would drop your lowest two, uh, your lowest two finishes in the year, drop those. And you'd, you know, if you had two DNFs, it didn't matter. But if you had like two second places and those were, you know, if you won every race and had two second places, then you would drop those two and like you would lose those points. And some championships were decided by countback. Uh, you know, it happened with, um, in, in 1988, Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost, you know, Senna won, but if you count up all the finishes, Prost had more points, but because he, you know, lost some points from countback, he finished behind Ayrton Senna. You know, they changed the points that you could earn in the race. You used to only, you know, uh, the first six finishers would get points. Now they have it till 10. So there's always been some kind of changes in manipulation that's always made it you know, difficult to compare eras, you know, uh, same thing in the NFL where it's like, you know, is Dan Marino the greatest quarterback of all time because he put up the numbers he did in an era when no one else was doing it because the rules got better for offenses and harder for defenses. Can you compare him, you know, to, uh, you know, Drew Brees' career? It's different eras. It is uh, you know, Johnny Unitas is the greatest quarterback because what, what he was doing in the 50s and 60s. Uh, sport will always go through some kind of change in adaptation. Yeah, and, you know, at, it's natural. It's just uh, when you have so much change while guys are still on the circuit, like, you know, that's tough, right? So you don't want to see too much change why, while Lewis is on the circuit while Alonzo's still on the circuit, I know they're nearing the end. But even with Max now, Max has won two championships um, under relatively the similar formats as, say, some of the other guys, right? And you change it drastically, and then it's like, he's still got a long career. I mean, it probably won't matter if it stays that way for a long time, but he goes, he will have championships won in different ways and formats. But again, besides the point, sprints aren't the end of the world. They're not the worst thing in the world uh, as far as change goes, and it doesn't move the needle that much. It's just how much are you tweaking of a, a good product, and what are you trying to tweak it for, right? Uh, are you changing it to changing it? Or are you trying to appeal to an audience that is a new audience and not the base. That's what you always have to question. Right. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to see more change within this year. If we just, you know, because we don't know what the other sprint races are going to be, or if they're going to keep the same format. So that's something we'll keep track of. Correct. Um, so let, let's talk about how everyone did just to wrap up at this past uh, race. Um, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll start with a uh, Red Bull because that's, uh, they did terrible, Steve. They did so, so terrible. Uh, no, they obviously 
they're the pack leaders, you know, first and second. Max had some uh, some weird qualifying, didn't matter, got up to the front. Uh, you know, Checo's worst enemy is his teammate. And so at this point, it, it is what it is. Uh, very banner day for Red Bull. Um, it didn't feel like really anybody else had a chance to win. Um, it was Checo, 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 and then... You waited until the pitch strategy caught up to everybody, and then it was max, max, max. And so um, not much to say about him other than someone please stop him. Yeah, I, I think the you know one interesting thing uh, was, <clears throat> excuse me, the one interesting thing out, out of that team was, like, you knew Max was going to come back after, you know, not winning in Baku, and Checo really starting to, you know, position himself strongly behind him that he was going to just like lay down a marker and, and try to have a dominant performance. What was surprising is that he out Checo Checo, you know, he beat him at his own game, which was, you know, being the tire whisperer. He made those hard tires, you know, last. Um, and Checo just, you know, couldn't match him on either compound of tires and just, uh, you know, beat him at his own game. So if, Max now has that in his bag of tricks to where, you know, he doesn't just have outright one lap pace and qualifying and then, you know, sound mechanics while he's driving. If he can also work the tires into a good window and keep him there, you know, I, it's all done and dusted at this point. Right. Um, the next three teams, it depends on how you really want to look at them. They're the teams that are fighting for second on the grid or third on the grid. But... And, and the key thing here is that they all intend to really bring some kind of upgrade this week at Imola. This, this is like their chance to put together some sort of competitive car. You know, uh, Aston Martin is going to bring some, Mercedes is going to bring some, Ferrari is going to bring something. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how close they can, you know, take a swing at the champ. Right, so Aston Martin obviously gets Fernando on the podium, but Stroll doesn't have a good day, 12th, no points. So if you're counting points here, uh, theoretically, accumulation of points, Mercedes had the second best day with 20 accumulated points, George finishing fourth, Lewis finishing sixth, uh, followed by Ferrari with... Carlos finishing fifth and Leclerc finishing seventh and um, Leclerc, I should say. And I think then, he goes by both. It's fine. He goes by both. I, I will say both. And then Fernando, while having a phenomenal finish and doing better than anybody else did that I just mentioned, um, but him getting no points from his teammate, that puts him at 15 points. So it goes 20, 16, and 15. And so you can call it what you want. Aston Martin gets on the podium. Fernando keeps his pace up as being one of the top two or three drivers on the grid. And um, that's great. But as a team, they lost a little ground to the other two that are chasing them. Yeah, it was kind of a shocker from Lance. Just uh, terrible qualifying. Starting 18th is unacceptable and essentially the second best car. Um, he, you know, to his credit, kind of worked his way up. But, I mean, you start so far back and your name's not for Stappen, you're not going to make a lot of headway. Uh, George did just what he needed to do, which was stay out of trouble, gain a few positions. I mean, he he started sixth, but, uh, you know, he had Kevin Magnuson and Haas and Pierre Gasly and Alpine in front of him, so those positions were there for the taking, and eventually, you know, that's where he ended up finishing, which was fourth, which was, I guess, kind of the best-case scenario now for Mercedes. 
Um, and then Lewis did a stellar job after a terrible qualifying, uh, making his way through the field. Um, he had a mega opening stint on the hard tires. Took them about as far as he could go, overcut a bunch of people. Um, you know, going from P13 to P6 without the help of like a timely safety car is like a really good effort. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of the drives of the day. Um, and then with Ferrari, I, I don't know where to start with Charles. You know, he crashed twice during the weekend. And then apparently, you know, because they, they had, you know, very few backup parts for the car. You crash it twice. Not a good situation. Um, I don't know if the spec of the floor is exactly what they wanted to have, but he was saying he had a reemergence of the porpoising problems that plagued them last year. And that's what led to him not really having strong pace during the race. And I, I feel like we heard a few things about that. They, they weren't the only team, but there was no actual people did. Well, at least, you know, what we saw that didn't observe actual porpoising, but the drivers were feeling it. But Michael um, porpoising. <laughs> uh, after that, I mean, we talked about Alpine, but they were the next best team. Both guys got points. Um, Gasly had stellar qualifying. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, I don't know if this, I know it's, uh, I don't know what the expectations are. You know what I mean? Now we, we started hearing these rumbles, and I mean, I know it was going into the weekend. Does this align with those rumbles, or is this coming at a timely point where they, those rumbles came out and then bam, we, we did okay. Uh, we, we both got points. Uh, we're, we're on the nice rise here. I, don't I mean, I, I still feel like this, this is their best case scenario, you know, behind Red Bull behind Mercedes behind Aston Martin behind Ferrari I I feel like they're kind of fortunate that Lance was nowhere in there otherwise they'd be like another position down you know they they had a great shot at some good points in Australia before they decided to play bumper cars but I you know they are really competing for the points between fifth and tenth right now and I feel like a fifth is as good as a podium for them and a is as good as a win. And we can run through some of these others. I, um, by virtue of their day, probably you can say this, um, but Haas got points and uh, Nico finished 15th. So Magnuson got the points in 10th. Yeah, which was, um, you know, frustrating because, you know, I, I felt like Nico had the chance to have a good race. He, he messed up a little bit in qualifying. He could have been in Q3 with Kevin and they both could have had the chance for points. So that was frustrating. And... I would probably, if I'm looking at it here, in fairness, it's probably AlphaTauri with the next best day. Yuki in 11th. You know, we talked about Yuki kind of knocking, being consistent. 10th and 11th, he's hanging around points. Yeah, Yuki in 11th um, and Nick being at the front of the rookie drivers is a good day for them. Yeah, so you call that a good day. Um, probably then followed by... Alfa Romeo for sure. Um, Valtteri with thirteenth. Yeah, and I felt like yeah. The, after the last race, I felt like Bottas is is like he's anonymous right now. Got his car into Q three. I felt like all right. He's he's strong this weekend. He's got a chance for points. Ultimately, he ended up finishing nine seconds out of points. So, just you know, it, it's, yeah. it's a it's a war of attrition. Somehow everyone finished the race, but it it was not an easy race. I feel like this car is not a great car. 
it is what it is. But I feel Valtteri with this car should be able to get points a little bit more consistently. Um, we'll see. And then we're looking at Williams next. Albin with a 14th place. Logan dead last and not a great start to the race. He pretty much was a lap down from the get. But and yeah, then we, I would we have, I would to, have talk to say about McLaren. It. McLaren, we have to talk about just yeah, dead last, the dead I, last again. This I, I, yeah, Piastri's one thing. Piastri's one thing. Lando unacceptable. I'm sorry. I, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is a if if this is on Lando uh, or if it's on the qu- quality of the car. I, I we've seen Lando be much better. We've seen Lando be much better in a McLaren. I, so I, I don't know at this point. Um, I mean, I I think you know they they had an issue at some of these tracks last year. The car's draggy. The car's not good in slow corners. Um, so th- this was not a track suited to them. But, I mean, Lando's finished 17th three times this year. That's, I mean, he has a sixth place finish in Australia. And, and they both finished in the points in Australia. And I felt like that, that track is kind of suited to them. But Lando didn't finish lower than 15th last year. And finishing the points, 80% of the time he was out there. And he already has three 17th place finishes in five races. It's an alarming situation at McLaren. He's having the Danny Ricardo memorial season. Um, And we'll (laughs) see what happens to him next year because of this. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Lando is on a hot seat. I'm saying that McLaren is... no, if a, if a yeah. seat comes open, I'm curious if Lando can find a way to finagle himself into a different team in a year or two. Exactly. Lando's not at a hot seat at McLaren. McLaren is in a hot seat for Lando. Like, yeah. uh, he is still young. He still has his prime in front of him. He doesn't turn 24 until after the season. His talent requires the opportunity to be in a competitive car. He had one for, you know, the uh, first couple of years at McLaren. Should have maybe won in Russia if he wasn't so stubborn. But, you know, he's got pole position pace. He's got racecraft and speed. Um, this car is betraying him. The team is betraying him a little bit. And, you know... I'm at a loss for words on how they ended up here because their trajectory was so strong and it felt like they were making every single right move. But once we move to these, you know, 2022 regulations, they just haven't gotten it right. They're, they're not alone in that. Anybody who's essentially not Red Bull has gotten it wrong. And the only people who have started to call themselves back are the people who are following Red Bull's lead. Um, but they're just pro- probably the biggest disappointment this year so far you know it's not on lando entirely um but just uh just sad situation over there we we see it in the nfl all the time especially um rookies go to the wrong teams very talented players you wonder if they went to a different situation a better situation one better suited for them would they have had a different career you see them drummed out of the league uh perennial backups guys who were five-star talent coming out of high school top first round picks and winning programs and then come into the league and you you can tell it's not like ah they just couldn't make the leap it's one of those where you're like i'm pretty sure the cleveland browns screwed that guy up you know what i mean (laughs) Um, do that a lot 
So this is where I'm wondering if McLaren is the Cleveland Browns. And, um, and Nick because... DeVries is Johnny Manziel. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it goes, this is, this is the thing for me. Like, McLaren, you look at it and you say, what did you do to Danny? Right? We've heard that already. And then what are you doing to Lando? Right? Lando is one of those guys, those young guns that everyone talked about. You're the future. You and Charles and Max and Carlos. And now you're getting into, what, five years, six years into F1. And you're not realizing that potential. And no one's saying that Lando's a bad driver. They're starting to say McLaren's a bad team. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, this upcoming race at Imola uh, is, is going to be a key indicator of, you know, may, maybe not so much McLaren, but definitely an indicator of Lando because this is a track that he absolutely thrives at. The last two years, podium. Podium in 2021, podium in 2022. Uh, strong in qualifying, strong in the race. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, this, this is kind of like, if he doesn't perform here, you know it's a definite red flag. And it's not it's not a one-off, now it's a trend. It seems like a lot is hinging on this race coming up because of all of the changes expected, the kind of pivot point that it is in the season. Um, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting one. And you wonder how much that, you know, puts wind in the sails of some teams or deflates them. With that said, that'll do it for this recap of Miami. You're listening to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. I'm Stephen McNally, and uh, we will talk to you later this week for our preview of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. And we'll see you next time across the line.